talk to you for a moment about worship if I can. I've been thinking about and praying a lot about worship. And what is it that we're about when we come together on Sunday mornings? And one of the things that I, I want us to do is really understand the priority, the importance of worship. I mean, worship is important for a lot of reasons. I, I just sat down the other day and I was just kind of listening. Why is worship important for us? And number one, worship is important because great, God is awesome, right? I mean, I mean, I mean there's, if that were the only reason, that'd be reason enough right there. God is awesome. God deserves our worship. But there's also kind of an internal thing here as well, that worship is really important for you, and it's really important for me. You know why? Because you were made to worship. You were. You were made to worship. I was made to worship. And this is what happens inside of you and inside of me. Every single person in here worships someone or something. We do. We do. We, we all worship something. We all worship someone. Now, hopefully, we all worship God. And the truth is, whatever we worship, whatever we esteem, whatever we value the most in our life, shapes our lives and shapes our destiny. So if what we value most is Arkansas football, you're shaping your life to be a failure, all right? Uh, Just kidding. All right, but I mean, seriously, sometimes we can get more excited about a favorite sports team than we are about, about God. And what happens when something besides God captures the affections of our hearts? It begins to shape the character of our lives, and it shapes our destinies. And this is the reason it's so important for us to not just come to worship, uh, but come to worship. Okay? Not just coming to listen, but coming to be engaged. And that's why we, we gather. And what we envision in our church and what we envision for worship is that God will be exalted. That's what we want to see. We want to see God exalted. We want to see God exalted in Christ proclaimed. We want to see God exalted in Christ proclaimed. We want to see, we want to see God uh, exalted in, in the teaching of Scripture, okay, in the teaching of Scripture, but more than the teaching of Scripture. We want to see God exalted in, in receiving Scripture. See, I think sometimes what can happen is we're not careful. We come and we have a we 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 come to it kind of like watching a new Avengers movie. Okay, yeah, yeah, one point two billion dollars. All right, okay, one point two billion dollars. Uh, here's the thing: is we if we're not careful, we come, but in, if we're not careful, it's all on me to teach, and it is on me to teach, but it's on you. The Bible says to humbly. This is the word of Scripture. This is not my word. This is the word of Scripture. It's the word of God. Okay? To humbly receive the word implanted, which can save your soul. Which can save your soul. See, your soul needs saving, and my soul needs saving. We need to be saved from a lot of different kinds of things in our lives. And the only way that's going to happen, the only way that's going to happen, I don't know what you need to be saved from today. But the only way that's going to happen in your life is if you humbly receive God's word implanted because it has the power to save your soul. So we want to see God exalted uh, in uh, Christ proclaimed. We want to see God exalted in Scripture taught and received. We want to see God exalted and change lives. We want God to change our lives, right? We, we, want, to be, we, we want to have this vision of God that totally changes Every aspect of how we live our lives. 
Uh, and we want to receive the word of God in such a way that our lives are, are changed and we become more like Jesus. And then ultimately, we want to see God exalted and everyone, uh, everyone welcome. That we, I, I believe that God is exalted in our lives when I go out of my way to help another person feel welcome in our church. And I think God is exalted when you go out of your way to walk across the room and help another person feel welcome. I, I, I believe that. I believe that. So what we want to see is we want to see God exalted. All right, that's a little sermon before the sermon. We've been doing a series on the book of Matthew. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's been really interesting for me as I've been studying this text and thinking about it. Um, it you know, I, I've preached on this, this passage many times. But this is the first time I've ever preached on this passage after having led our church through the entire book of Matthew. And having gone through the entire book of Matthew, it's like I'm bringing a greater sense of appreciation uh, and excitement about this text. It's like I'm seeing it in a new and a fresh way. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter uh, 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, the other, yesterday, yesterday uh, my wife, uh, Joy, most of you all know Joy, uh, Joy uh, left to go to Oklahoma. She's going to be there all week. She'll be flying back on Saturday. I'd like her to fly back today. Uh, I was talking with her, and I was talking with her mom last night, and I told, her, I told them both, I'm ready for you to come back right now. And, um, and, 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 and let me tell you, I appreciate my wife. My wife doesn't have to go away long for me to really appreciate her. She doesn't have to go away at all. Uh, but it's like when my wife's not home, life changes. And my wife understands that. My wife understands that in a very good way. And so what she does is she gives us lots of reminders. She gives us lots of my, my oldest daughter, Cass, came in yesterday after work, and she looked at all these Post-it notes, and she started laughing. There are all these Post-it notes from, from Joy. And on these Post-it notes, what Joy is doing is she's instructing, she's instructing me, okay? She's instructing Faith. She's instructing Cass how she wants us to live until she gets back. That's what it is, all right? That's... It is what it is, all right? She's giving us instructions about how she wants us to live until she gets back. Now, what's important to Joy about how we live? Well, one thing that's really important for her, because she put it on two separate post-it notes, which means it's important, in two different places. She wants to know, she wants to make sure we're seeing this every day. One is at the table, because she knows we're going to go there to eat. Uh, and it says, I love you, all right? And one's on the front door because when we leave every day, we're going to see the front door. But she left a couple of post-it notes, I love you. So everything is said is said in love, all right? But on top of that, she's given us more instructions about how to live. So she's given us more. And one of those instructions is, please pick up the mail. Not one time, two times, two different places where I eat where I walk out the door. Number two, feed the dog. Feed the, he did get fed late last night, but he did get fed, all right? He got watered this morning, all right? Took him out in the backyard, sprayed him down. No, just kidding. Uh, but but uh, it did, there's another post-it note because we're watching a friend's dog. Feed the other dog. Feed the other dog. But she's given us instructions about how she wants us to live uh, until she gets back. She also told me where to find the, the recipes. I'm not sure why she told me this, but the recipes for cooking. I'm not sure why she told me that. And then she le left us $20 for going out to eat, which means one of two things. Either she doesn't want us to go out to eat 
or she thinks $20 goes a lot further than I do, all right? So it's one of those two things. But what Joy did is she gave us instructions about how she wants us to live until she gets back. And I can't wait. Saturday, Saturday, I'm counting the days. And what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, is he's giving us instructions about how he wants us to live until he gets back. You see, because what the Bible teaches us is it teaches us that Christ, you know, that he was born and that he, he lived, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned in any way. Never sinned. Never got in trouble with mom and dad because he, he, he never sinned. Whenever there was a, a disagreement between he and one of his brothers or sisters, he was always right. He never sinned in any way. He never sinned. He lived a sinless life. He did these incredible miracles, and he preached these fantastic sermons. And then what he did is he went to the cross. He went to the cross for you, for me. He went to the cross. He bore my sin. He bore your sin on the cross. He, he died. He rose again three days later. And then what he did is he appeared to his disciples over a time frame of 40 days with many convincing proofs, appearing to his, the original, well, it used to be 12 disciples, but Judas, you know, he left the group and went out and took his life. But the other 11. And he appeared to the 11, and he appeared to his other disciples, the other followers of Jesus as well. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us at one time he appeared to more than 500 people on one occasion. So what he was doing is he was appearing to people over and over and over again. I think sometimes, you know, I kind of grew up thinking he only appeared to the disciples. That's not true. What the New Testament teaches us is that he was appearing to people over and over and over again. And according to Acts chapter 1, with many convincing proofs. In other words, you know, he was making sure people understood he was actually risen from the dead. And according to, to, to Paul, when he was talking to King Agrippa, when he was on trial, he said these things did not happen in a corner. It didn't happen in some far-off back room where only a select few saw this and heard about this. No, this was done in a very, very public way, very public way. And then what Jesus did is he, he went away, and what the Scripture tells us, he's preparing a place for us, and he's coming again for us. But what he did is he gave us, just like Joy gave us instructions about how to live until she gets back, he gave us instructions about how we're to live until he gets back. So let's look at Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to, uh, I want to, encourage you to open up to Matthew 28, verses 16 uh, through 20. And verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples, you know, minus Judas, remember, he, was a, he, he ran off and, and, and took his life. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. And, and when they saw Jesus, who saw Jesus? The eleven. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. Wouldn't you? Yeah, they worshipped him. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. I mean, he was great. He was awesome. What's not to do is to worship. But it says, but some doubted. Some doubted. We're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? Some doubted. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I, I, I mean, this is, okay. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go 
and make disciples. Now, what's a disciple? Is that somebody who walks around, you know, wearing a robe, has a beard? No, because there were women disciples back then, too. They didn't have beards, all right? No, no, no. No, a disciple just simply means someone who's following Jesus, okay? A pupil, apprentice, a student. In fact, Jesus never referred to people who believed in him as Christians. In fact, the word Christian only shows up a couple of times in the New Testament. The word that we see most often in the Scriptures to describe people who believe in Jesus is disciple. That's what we want to be. We want to be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. So what he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, real interesting, I want to share with you four thoughts on this, but real quick, I want to, I want to just kind of visit this idea of that the 11, they worshipped, but some doubted. And what's going on in this text? Because a lot of people, they're like, what do you mean they doubted? What's, what's that about? What's that about? All right? And, and, and what's going on in this text is what we need to remember is Jesus did appear to the 11, but he appeared to more than the 11. In fact, Warren Wiersbe, who's a Bible teacher, some of you may know who Warren Wiersbe is. There are a, few, a lot of other Bible teachers kind of believe the same thing. They believe that this appearance of Jesus is the same one that, that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he appeared to more than 500. The truth is we really can't know for sure. We don't know how many people were there. What we do know is that Jesus was appearing to the 11, but he was also appearing to a lot of other people. And I don't want to bore you with grammar. But grammar is important, particularly in Greek, okay? And if, if you know anything about Greek grammar, and I don't expect you to, but, but, but the, the way it talks, the way it says this is it says, uh, when they saw him, they worshiped. But some, in, in Greek, it's, it, just, it says hoi da, which means, you know, it, it means this group and this group. So when you see hoi da, you're starting to look at a different group of people. And we see this in a previous chapter, chapter 27. You see the same kind of construction. So you have a group who believe and worship, and then you have a, a group who are doubting. Now, for us, we have, how many words do we have for doubt? A lot? I don't know. We got, we got the word doubt. We got that, okay? In, in Greek, Greek has a lot, it has more than one word for doubt, okay? It has more than, than, than one word for doubt. And, and, um, and so there is the kind of doubt that's just stubborn, a stubborn refusal to believe, okay? There's that kind of a doubt. There's, this, there's a, a stubborn uh, refusal to believe, but there is another kind of doubt. It's, it's a doubt of hesitation or ambivalence. Ambivalence is a word we don't really use a lot in English, most of us don't use that word. Maybe my daughter does because she has a huge vocabulary, okay? Uh, if you, anyway, she, but, but there's, this, there's this ambivalence. It's this, it's this when we feel conflicted. It's, it's not that we don't believe. In fact, in fact, doubt can be a very important part of faith when we begin to understand it. That, that, that sometimes in the process of believing, because believing is a process, in the process of believing, sometimes we can feel a measure of ambivalence. God allows something into our lives, and we don't understand, why is God letting this happen? You ever see that? You ever have that experience? In the Old Testament, there's a guy who had that experience. His name was Job. He felt ambivalence. He was like, 
I don't understand, God. Why, why have you allowed all this tragedy to touch my life? I mean, it's not like I've sinned against you. It's not like I've done anything wrong. But the three, uh, the three, three friends of Job, they all said, oh, the, the reason that you're suffering is because you're a terrible sinner. And Job's like, hey, I haven't done anything wrong. That's like me when I was growing up and I got in trouble. I didn't do it. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, there's this ambivalence sometimes that we experience when we go through something we don't really grasp and understand the full weight of. And that's kind of where these disciples were. And this can be a part of the process of coming to a more settled, unwavering kind of faith. There's a guy, his name is Dallas Willard. I don't expect you all to know who he is, but he used to be a philosophy professor down at USC, and he's written a few books. He's a Christian follower of Jesus, actually with the Lord now. But Dallas Willard liked to say, he said, it's okay to doubt your beliefs. It's okay to doubt your beliefs. Just don't forget to doubt your doubts. You got that? And, and sometimes what we do is, is we think that if we're struggling with doubts, that means that we're done with God. That's not true. Just because you're going through, a, 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 you're struggling with some doubt doesn't mean you have to discard the idea of God or that God is good or that God is involved in your life and he cares deeply for you. In fact, when you embrace that, you can come to a place of a more settled faith. I've gone through this in my own life. And, and, and so, so what we're seeing here is we're seeing this group of people, and they're kind of wrestling. And so what, what Jesus does is he's speaking to his, the 12 or the 11th. Um, he's speaking to them, but he's also speaking to these other followers. And what he does is he says to them basically four things I want you to see in this text. And what he tells them is he tells them four things. These are the four things, okay? Are you ready? Feed the dog. Pick up the mail, don't eat out too much, and what was the other one? I can't remember. Oh, well, anyway, I love you. All right, there we go. So, no, 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 no. Jesus gives us slightly different uh, instructions. He gives us some different words here. And, And what he does is he gives us four different words, and the first word is this. God wants you to see that all authority, what does it say here? All Circle that word all. Okay? All. All authority. That word, it, it, it appears four different times in this text. That what, what God wants us to see is that, that all authority has been given to Jesus. Now, why is that significant and important? Okay, this week, I was riding my bike to work. I was riding my bike here to the office, and I have a couple of bikes. I have a road bike. I like to, to ride when I'm wanting to ride faster, and I'm going further. So, on Monday, I took the day off. Me and a buddy of mine, we rode out to Winters and back, all right? So that's the, that's the, that's the bike I ride when, when we're riding any kind of distance. If I'm riding more than 10, 15 miles, I'm on my road bike. And, and so that, that's the bike. The other bike I like to ride a lot is I have a, a, a hardtail mountain bike. A hardtail just simply means that it's got front suspension but it doesn't have back suspension, hence hard, okay? Uh, your rear end gets more of a workout, all right? So, so can you say rear end in church? I don't know. All right, all right. So your rear end gets more of a workout. Anyway, so, so I'm on my hardtail, and uh, it's a great bike to be able to jump on, get here. Not too hot, not too sweaty, although I've got helmet hair. Uh, but that's the bike I ride if I'm riding it here to the office. So I was riding over here the other day, and as I was riding over here, there was a police officer just off Oliver Road, because there are some people, not me, there are some people who've been driving too fast on Oliver, okay? 
Okay, so there are some people driving a little bit too fast. So he's, he's, he's kind of off the street, and he's got his car as far back as he can. He's leaning forward as far as he's, he can. He's got his radar gun. So I'm riding up, and all of a sudden I come past this bush, and there he is. He's got his little radar gun on me. And it just felt really kind of amusing. I, I asked him, his window was down. I said, am I going too fast? And he said, yes, slow down. All right? Um, and, and we both laughed. We both laughed. But see, that police officer, he has authority. He has authority. So if I'm speeding on my bicycle, if I'm going 50 miles an hour on my bike, I'm going to frame that ticket. I'm going to bring it up here. I'm going to show it to you. 50 miles an hour on my bike. I've done that before, but it was in a different place. It was a long hill, okay? But if I'm going 50 miles an hour and, you know, he has authority. He can pull me over. He can write me a ticket. He has, he has that authority. But guess what? When he goes home at night, he takes off his uniform. He's clocked out. He's just a plain citizen like you and me. If, if he got on a, a, a plane and he flew to Oklahoma and my wife was, was riding her bicycle 50 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour speed zone, he couldn't pull her over and give her a ticket. But he has authority. He has authority. Or there's, there's authority, and then there's, there's authority on a little larger scale. So, for example, if you go over to Travis Air Force Base, Travis Air Force Base is, it, it is, it is the most important air base on the West Coast because it's in Fairfield, California. All right? That's what makes it important. Uh, that and also the fact that, that it, it transports more cargo and more people, I think, than any air base in, in, in the nation, if I remember correctly. And so we, we have there a commanding officer at our air base here in Travis, at Travis Air Base, uh, and his, his he, Colonel Nelson, okay? And it, Colonel Nelson has a lot of authority. He does. He does. He has, uh, the, 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 he has authority over 7,000 over 7, active military personnel, over 4,000 reserve military personnel, and then also a lot of uh, private civilian uh, employees there. But he has a, a measure of authority. But if I pass, if I pass uh, Colonel Nelson on my, my hardtail mountain bike and I'm going 50 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour speed zone, he can't pull me over and give me a ticket. See, he has authority. That police officer has authority, but neither one of them have what? All authority. And what Jesus says is this. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, that authority doesn't go away when he takes off his police uniform. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away when he, uh, when he leaves the military. He has all authority over the heavens. Do you know how big the heavens are? I mean, he has, I mean, what it means is this, is it does, I don't care where you go, he has authority there. The, the heavens, it's big. The heavens and the earth, everywhere you go, Jesus is in charge. Did you know that? And that is hugely important. And that's important not just to understand here, but to understand here. That's important to understand now on Sunday morning when you're here to worship. And that's important tomorrow when you're at work or when you are in school. And you're worshiping there because we want to worship God in all that we do. And so we need to understand and we need to see that all authority has been given 
uh, to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Second thing God wants to see in this text that he wants to do is that God wants you to make disciples of all people everywhere. So what the scripture says, what Jesus says here is he says, therefore, go, because all authority has been given to me, go and make disciples of what? All nations. You can circle that word all. Okay? So we have all authority, all nations. And what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, sometimes when we think of nations, I don't know about you, but I think of like the United States. I think of Canada. I think of Mexico. You know, I think of, you know, I, I think of Russia or I think of China. You know, I, I think of, of nations like that. Okay? But, but in, if you were living 2,000 years ago and you were a native Greek speaker, when you used the word ethne, where we get our word ethnicity or ethnic, you thought a little differently about nations. So, for example, can anybody tell me how many nations there are in, uh, in Oklahoma? My wife's in Oklahoma right now. Anybody know how many nations are in Oklahoma? Six? Okay. Good guess. All right. I, I had no clue. I looked it up. Forty. There's about 40 different nations in, in the state of Oklahoma. There's, there's the Sac and Fox Nation, which is where my uh, in-laws live. They live in the Sac and Fox Nation. And when I'm over there seeing my in-laws and I'm, I'm driving into the Sac and Fox Nation, I see the little sign, Sac and Fox Nation. You're now entering the Sac and Fox Nation. And when I leave it, you see the little sign, now leaving the Sac and Fox Nation. Or the, the Cherokee Nation are the Shawnee, or the uh, um, uh, Chickasaw, Chickasaw. My, my, my father-in-law is known as Chickasaw Vic, which is really funny because he doesn't have any Chickasaw in him at all, all right? But he used to be known as Chickasaw Vic. So, so there are all these little nations. And, and, and what we see, what Jesus is saying is when he's saying all nations, he's meaning all people. It doesn't matter if this person is Shawnee, Chickasaw, Choctaw. It doesn't matter if you're an Arkansan, Oklahoman, or a Mississippian, Okay. It doesn't matter where you're from, what, uh, where you live, who you are. God wants you to be his disciple, his follower. And he wants us to be invested in this work of making disciples. Making disciples. So what do we mean by that, by making disciples? It, 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 means, it means leading people to Christ. So, for example, we'll do things like our egg hunt. Okay? We'll do our egg hunt. And what we want to do is we want to really love and we want to serve the people of our community. We want to build bridges of goodwill and friendship. That's what we want. That's really what our aim is. We want want to have fun, but we're wanting to build relationships and friendships. And as we are engaged in friendship with people in our community, the other thing that we want to do is we want to be involved in redemptive dialogue. You know what redemptive dialogue is? Conversations. In other words, for us, you know, I don't want to just say, this is what you're supposed to believe. No. No, you start getting in people's face say, you should believe, you know. That, that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is redemptive dialogue and conversation is more like this. So tell me a little bit about what you believe, where you're from, what your life is, you know. You know, I just kind of, it's where we are engaging people and we're letting them tell us what they think and believe. Not for the purpose of passing judgment on them, but just because we care about them. And when it's appropriate and they're asking us, well, what do you believe? You know, why do you hope in Jesus? Then we're ready to share with them a little bit about our hope and why we hope in Jesus. Okay? So we want to be involved in that. But what we want to do is we want to be leading people to Christ. 
And then we want to be making disciples. It doesn't mean just leading people to Christ, but leading people to maturity. So they are beginning to follow Jesus with us and then leading them to live the mission of Jesus with us. And what Jesus says is he says, you know, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Now, why is baptism important? That's kind of an interesting thought. We, we had a baptism here recently. And what's this whole baptism thing about? And basically, baptism, water baptism, was, is the practice of immersing people in water as a symbol of their new identity in Christ. When you say, I want to put my hope, my confidence in Jesus, you become a new person, and you're given a new identity. And so water baptism is intended to be kind of a public profession of a very personal commitment. It's intended to be an outward uh, expression of an inward experience. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality. It's important for obedience, but it's also important because because when, when we've been baptized and we've gone public with our decision to follow Jesus, it kind of cements cements excuse me cements the nature of the commitment that we've made to Jesus. Does that make sense? And so that's what the baptism stuff is about. So what 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 God wants to do is He wants to make disciples of all people everywhere, all nations. Number three, third thing that God wants us to see in this text is that God wants you to teach people to obey Jesus in all things. Yeah, what the Bible says is, therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. By the way, in Greek, pos. Remember that? Remember that word, pos, P-A-S. Or, okay, well, that's pi alpha sigma. But, uh, but it's, it's that... It's that same word, like, you know, that he has all authority. He wants to make disciples of all nations, and he wants us to obey him in all things, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm very good at obeying Jesus in some things. Did you know that? I am. I'm really good at obeying Jesus in some things, but I'm not always good at obeying Jesus in all things. Oh, see, I'm, Pastor Gary's in trouble. I don't always obey Jesus in all things. But, but see, that's what, that's what discipleship That's what following Jesus is about. It's about learning. It's a lifelong process of learning to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Learning to obey Jesus, not just in some things or even in most things, but in all things. And it's a lifelong journey. And we don't finish it until we, Jesus comes again for us and we go to be with him forever. And so what we want to do is we want to learn how to to obey him uh, in, in all things. Okay, uh, And then finally, the four things that I think that God wants to see in this text is this, is that God wants you and me to enjoy the presence of Jesus at all times, until the end of time. That what God wants for you and what God wants for me is he wants us to enjoy the presence of Jesus at all times until the end of time. And when we mean the end of time, we're talking about that time when Jesus comes again. And time, as we now understand it and imagine it, 
changes radically. And we spend eternity with God. That what Jesus says is he says here uh, in, in, in the last part of verse 20, he says, surely I am with you always. And again, that's that Greek word pas, you know, the pi alpha sigma, P-A-S. That he wants us to, um, to, to, to enjoy his presence always until the very end of the age, the end of all time, when he comes and makes things, all things right. So what that, means, what that means for us is that Jesus is always with us. Did you know that? Now, I don't always enjoy the presence of Jesus. Sometimes I, I forget about the presence of Jesus. Usually when I'm not obeying him in one of those all things. Usually when I'm not obeying him in one of those all things, I've forgotten he has all authority, or I'm ignoring it, and I've forgotten he's with me at all times, or I've I'm ignoring it. But what Jesus wants for me is he wants me to always know that he has all authority. He wants me to always be invested in making disciples, and he wants you to do the same thing. He wants us to learn how to obey him in all things, and he wants us to enjoy his presence always, always. Last words that's been said are lasting words. Uh, they usually include an important message to guide how we live until our loved one comes back. So uh, my wife, what my wife wants me to do is she wants me to feed the dogs, cook, pick up the mail, and remember she loves me. But what Jesus wants you to do, just kidding, he wants me to do it too, is he wants us to re- recognize and submit to his authority he wants us to make disciples of all people everywhere. He wants to, us to teach people to obey him in all things while we're learning to obey him as well. And he wants us to enjoy his presence for all time till the end of time. Let's pray. Father, today we are so grateful that we get to come together uh, to worship you. And Lord, we do. We want to see you exalted. We want to see you exalted in Christ proclaimed, not just in our service on Sunday mornings, but we want to see you exalted in Christ proclaimed in how we live our lives every day. We want to see you, God, exalted in, in, in both the teaching and the receiving of your word. We want to see you exalted, God, um, in, in how we interact with people around us. Uh, we want to see you exalted in our lives changed. Lord, what we want to do is we want to live mindfully that Jesus is coming again. We, God, we want to order our lives, understanding that Jesus has been given all authority, not just some authority, but he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And we want to remember that, and we want to be mindful of that and how we live our lives. And God, we want to be fully invested in your work of making disciples until Jesus returns. Lord, we want to learn how to obey you in all things, but we also want to learn how to teach and encourage and instruct others uh, to obey you in all things. And then, Lord, we want to enjoy your presence until the very end of the age. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.